This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook. Today is November 11th, 2022. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. My name is Laura Foster. Back then I was known as Laura Schmaling, and I was at Hofstra Radio spring of 97 through 2000, May 2000. Okay. And what shows and programs did you work on? I worked on a whole bunch of them. Um, I did the classics. I did Airwave. I mostly really loved the morning show, and I ended up doing a bunch of different roles on the morning show. I also worked on the news line that was in the afternoons, in the evenings, I should say. Okay. Uh, What titles and positions did you have at the station? I believe my first one was traffic director, but that was so long ago. That was in the beginning. But I Mm -hmm. also was personnel director on the administrative board, and I was community relations director on the executive board my last year. When you mentioned traffic director, you mean in terms of like scheduling public service announcements and promos yeah. and things? Okay. Yes. That's, that's a gateway for a lot of people. You don't know what it is and someone says, here, take this job. And you think, okay, great. And <laughs> a lot of people Honestly, don't, miss it, don't know what they're getting in for, into. The personnel director was a lot harder. That was a lot. Trying to organize all the different slots and who was doing what, when, and then somebody was away or not coming back. I remember personnel director being very stressful. Okay. Um, We'll talk about that a little bit later on. I think perhaps um, when you were on the air, did you use your own name? Did you have any nicknames? (laughs) So I used my own name, but I had a nickname that other people coined to me that they used to use for me, which was um, Schmegel. Okay. Was this something it, you used on the air? Um, I they I was called that. I didn't refer to myself that way, but that's how other my friends talked to me. That's how they talked to me on the air. They made it up for me and called me that. Give me the nickname one more time. Schmegel. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's weird. All right. Um, so I, I'd like to start off with uh, what first brought you to the radio station, and then if you could uh, tie it in, if it makes sense for you, what was the station like when you got there? Do you remember meeting anybody? What did it look like? What did it smell like? What did it sound like? What was going on when you first arrived? So the way I got in was much different than a lot of these other interviews that I've listened to. Um, When I first started as a freshman at Hofstra, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I had no clue which direction I was going to go into. And I went to one of those fairs where they tell you about all the activities that the university has to offer. And I walked around this fair and two of them caught my eye. One of them was the equestrian club because I belonged to a horseback riding club in um, junior high school and high school. And then I walked past the radio station and started talking to that, the people in that booth. And I was, I was mesmerized by it. It sounded so interesting to me and it's nothing I had ever thought of doing or had an interest in. So I put my name down and my first semester, I didn't get a call back. I did get a call back for an interview, but I didn't get into the training class. And then mm-hmm. the second semester I was there, they said, you know, we, I, we couldn't fit you into the first training class, but would you have an interest in coming for the second, the second semester? And I hadn't joined the equestrian club because once I found out how much money it costs to be a part of that, I, I couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. So. I was looking for my niche. I was looking where to fit in at Hofstra. I didn't really have that 
place to go, that place of belonging? And I said, sure, I'll, uh, I'll do it. Not even having a clue, to be honest with you, what I was getting into. So that's how it started for me. And it turned into a passion very quickly in, in college. And I remember going to the studio and, and watching the people who were on the air and looking through that window and thinking, that is awesome and I can't wait to do this. And um, I started the training class. Uh, Sean Novat was one of the teachers in there and Heather Cohen. And um, of course, Bruce was there. And I remember Bruce coming in and I was so intimidated by him. And that first time he walked into the training class and introduced himself and I thought, wow, this is going to be really tough. And then once you start to get to know him, you're like, oh, he's not tough. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's, he's the best. I mean, he's he became the only mentor that I ever really consider a mentor, even though I'm no longer in the business. I, I did exit college in radio, and then I changed careers uh, a few years after that. Um, going back to those those initial meetings, that, that, that sort of club fair thing, and then the initial, you, did, did you interview in that fall? And do you remember who maybe you talked to or what that was like? I did interview in the fall. I, I couldn't tell you specifically everybody that was in there. I know Bruce and Ed were in there, Bruce and Ed Ingalls. I'm sure Michelle Lisi was probably there and, and maybe Sean or Heather. I really, I can't now, I don't really know who was there. Mm. I remember talking in that interview and they were asking me if I was to make my own show, what show would I I make. And I, re I was very into showing dogs at the time in college and before that. And I said, I would definitely make something with pets and some sort of a, a pet show. And they were really interested in that, which I never pursued it. <laughs> but it does sound I, interesting. Yeah. Yes. And there was, they said, we have nothing like that on the air right now on our station. And we would love to see something like that come. It, it's very different than anything that we had. And I have a feeling that that may be why? Because I had no background. It wasn't an interest of mine. A lot of the people say, oh, it's something I always wanted to do. It wasn't like that for me. So I think that might have been why they decided to pursue me and have me come back. And I'm so glad they did because, you know, being a part of WRHU changed everything for me at the time. Hmm. Very interesting. Um, so, so once you get that call back and, and you come in for the spring semester for the training program, could you talk a little bit about what the training was like and maybe anything that you recall learning at that time? Well, I remember we were learning all about the, the slander and, and what you shouldn't do and what you shouldn't say and all kind of like the ins and outs of radio itself, which, as I said, I had no background in. So it was all, I found it fascinating. I found everything fascinating about it. Um, just... It was a whole new world for me, and I, I just took it all in and absorbed it, and I kind of went with it and ran with it and just took it over while I was there and in my head and everything. It just my world revolved around it, and I remember having to do the on-air clearances and making tapes, and I remember in Ed Ingalls, the first time I was I was on the air, he um, for the morning show, he pulled me into the the off his office and said, "Alls is not a word." 
<laughs> that always sat with me. He said, why do you seem to have this Brooklyn accent? And I said, well, my dad is from Brooklyn and my mom is from Queens. And sometimes it comes out. And that was the last time I ever said the word alls until right this second. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yep. But my family says it all the time, and every time they say it, I always have Ed Ingalls in the back of my head going, alls is not a word. And I remember telling my father and my brother, that's not a word. And they just looked at me, and they still say it, but he's always there in my head. <laughs> oh, gosh, that's funny. And I'm sure it just came out in a moment of conversation on the air. It wasn't something that you were conscious of, but he picked up on it. Absolutely. And And from everything I know about stories about Ed, he, he always tried to do things in a very positive and, and educational way. So w was there any part of you that was like, oh no, I got in trouble? Or how did that, how did that conversation go down? I was a little embarrassed. No, I never thought I got in trouble. I, okay. I always thought of it as a learning experience. Everything for me there, I, I was learning from the ground up. I mean, like I said, I, had, I wasn't on a high school station. It wasn't a passion. Everything I was learning so one of the things I had to learn was how to speak appropriately on the air. And I was more afraid that I sounded um, maybe not smart or uneducated by speaking that way. And Ed was great. I mean, he really helped me to learn how to improve myself. I, I never felt that he was talking down to me or anything. He, it was always positive, always. Mm -hmm. Um do you recall anybody else who was in the class with you or maybe some of those things that you were learning as you were tracking with, with more experienced uh, students? You know, I can't remember any of the people who were actually in the class with me. Some of the people I might not even realize that I'm friendly with were actually in my class. But I do remember a lot of the people that were there at the time that were teaching the class became my friends like Sean Novat to this day is still a very good friend of mine. And um, I still talk to Tracy Preston, now Tracy Scott. Um, Danielle DeLillo came after me, um, but we were friendly. Um, and there were so many people, all the sports people. And I mean, the list just goes on and on. Um, obviously, Michelle, Ed, and, and Bruce were a big part of things. Heather Cohen was very active in, in teaching us and um, eventually she actually helped me get my first job out in there. She helped me get my first interview out in the radio world after I graduated. Um, so, I mean, there were just so many people. It was my family. They, mm. they were my family. That's where I went. That's where I went between classes. That's where I went when I had nowhere else to go in the moment and didn't know what to do. That's where I went. WRHU. Mm. So that was one of my next questions coming up is when did you feel like you were comfortable socially at the station and how did that compare to your first semester where you weren't necessarily in any clubs and finding your way at Hofstra when did you find that moment when you were like okay I'm here this is my place this is my these are my people so basically it happened really fast for me so I graduated from the training class in May of 97 so it was just going into summer semester and you know many of the kids who aren't local go back home for the summer so I was local. I lived about seven miles from campus. So I was there all the time in the summer. And it was a small knit of us that lived locally and were there all the time. And I felt like right from the very beginning, 
um, that was my place and I knew it. And it was so different than my first semester. My first semester, I, I went to classes and I went home and um, I did have a job. So I, I, I went to my job, I went to school and I went home and I didn't hang out on campus. I never stayed on campus. I just left. So it was a completely different world for me coming in from the summer where, you know, there was a lot of people gone and we had to cover slots. So I was around and I would cover slots. I started to get really active on the morning show and, um, and a show that was free format that was called Anarchy was on Sunday nights. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that was hard to fill. Also, it was late and a lot of people were gone. So pretty much that first summer, I did Anarchy with, um, with Sean and a bunch of other people I would say almost weekly. And um, that was my first show that I went on once I had my on-air clearance. Um, one of the, my friends that I made there, Dan Rakowicz, invited me to come down. He goes, oh, you got your, you got your on-air clearance. Why don't you come down to Anarchy tonight? Sean's going to be there and, a couple, and one of his friends from high school. So I said, great, I'll come on down. So I met, I met all these new people and I met Sean's friend from high school whose name is Scott Foster. And if you could count what my last name is now, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I met my husband that night <laughs> and, um, you know, it just, it just fit right away. Everything just fit right away for me. Wow. That's amazing. That's, yep. uh, that's very cool. So in, in the classic sense that there, there are so many relationships and marriages and, and so forth that came out of, out of Hofstra radio, was it, was it an instant thing or was it, uh, did it take some time to develop your relationship with, with Scott? Well, I was dating somebody else at the time, <laughs> not uh <-huh>. from <laughs> And um, I mean, I, you know, when you, you know, you know, and I knew that was going nowhere and it just took a little while to get out of that. And then once Scott and I started dating, I mean, I knew it was going to be a long relationship. I never knew. I mean, I was 19. I didn't know. Right. Back then, we stayed. We were together for a while before we got married because we were so young. But um, you know, I knew it was going to be a long relationship, even even back then. Was Scott at the radio station, or he was just Sean's friend? He was Sean's friend that was visiting. Um, he he just got home from college. He was uh, up at Albany, and uh, him and Sean were going to hang out. And Sean said to him, "Why don't you come down?" to the station. We've got anarchy going on because you were allowed to have a guest a certain amount of times. And um, I didn't find out until later. It was supposed to be once every six weeks. But let's just say Scott was there every week that summer. And, you know, we saw we, that's how we we started our relationship was on anarchy at WRHU. So wow. Sean went to high school with him. And then I went to college with Sean and we became friends. And that's, you know, Sean was Sean was a groomsman in my wedding. <laughs> Wow. So all these little moments add up to such big changes in, in, in uh, directions in your life. And Absolutely. How interesting that is. Um, so aside from that, you know, like aside from that big moment, how did you feel about getting on the air the first time? Were you nervous? Were you excited? What, what were you expecting? I was very nervous because I had never been on the air before. And now I was in a, in a place where I wasn't even by myself to figure things out myself. I was with other people and it's different when you're, you're on the air by yourself and you're just managing what you're doing and front announcing and back announcing. But now I have to interact and be a, a part of a conversation, which in some ways is much harder because you're more on 
you're you're on the fly. You're you're not scripted. You're you're running off what you're thinking and off other people. So no, it was it was very stressful, but it seemed for me right from the beginning to just to just flow. Um, it was a learning experience, but you know I feel like it it clicked pretty soon on the morning show. I went through all of all of the different um, ways to get up. I started doing the news, and then I went to co-host, then I went to host and engineer, and I worked my way up. And it was a learning experience the entire time. Mm. So it, it was nerve-wracking, but I was always open to learning, and I always wanted to be better, and I wanted to be confident and feel good about what I did. So I asked questions, and I, I took feedback, and I, and, I, and I followed through with it. So I think that was a big part of it. I think when you're receptive to feedback and to learning, it changes things. Yeah, I think that's an ideal attitude to have uh, when you're starting a new job or, or starting in there. So it, it sounds like it, it fit perfect for you. Um, I'm interested, since you the first time on the air, you were with this group and you had some support. Do you remember your first time getting on the air solo or your first time doing a combo shift? I don't. You know, I don't remember that as vividly. I do remember being extremely nervous being in the studio by myself. Mm. Um, like I was in charge of this, like the power is in me. If I mess up, <laughs> it's on me. But I can't remember a specific incident where, uh, you know, like that first time, I, I just remember that first anarchy more than anything, which I wasn't even engineering, obviously at that point, I just got my on-air clearance. But mm. it all happened that summer, that one summer I got most of my clearances and um it, it it took me time to feel comfortable it definitely did it wasn't an instant like oh i could do this i'm great like i never it was always learning and it was always how can i be better something you said a, a moment ago reminded me of, of something i've heard many people say about bruce avery's training classes something to the effect of i'm handing you the the keys to the Starship Enterprise or something like that, right? And Absolutely. It, it seems like you had a sense of how big and important uh, your role as an individual at the station could be. Does that, does that sound right? A hundred percent, yes. Because you're in charge. If something goes wrong and nobody's around, and like I said, in the summer, that first summer when I was doing all this, it, it was bare bones. There, a lot of the people were back home. And there weren't always a ton of people around. And during the school year, the station was always crowded with people. So if something went wrong, you have people to run in and help you. But sometimes that in the summers, it's not like that. Right. It's quiet. Uh, I'm, I'm curious. I don't know if you mentioned it earlier, but what, what were you studying at Hofstra? What did you go to school for? So when I first started, I just started taking all the classes that, you know, you have to take in order to get a degree. Um, I've always been very interested in in English and in language, so I started taking some English classes classes to start. So my first two semesters, I took English classes, and then right away I started taking radio classes, audio radio. So I had no idea what I wanted to do, and by the time I graduated, I had enough um, English credits and audio radio credits where I did a double major, and I majored in English and audio radio. So I graduated with both. Oh, wow. Wow. So was it your intention to be an English major or you were just going to figure it out? I was going to figure it out. I really was trying to find my way. Most of my life, I wanted to be a veterinarian. 
until I discovered how squeamish I was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I knew that wasn't going to happen. I've always had a passion for animals. Um, and when I saw that wasn't going to happen, I always loved writing and editing and, and like I said, in language and, and that kind of thing. So that's where I started. And then once I started with the radio, I was like, this is it. This is going to be my life. This is what I'm going to do. And how did your not- family react to that? How did that you were getting so involved in radio? What did they think of it? They were so happy that I found my niche. My parents have always been incredibly supportive of me. And they know that whenever I get a passion for something, I just do it and I follow through with it. And they saw that was my passion and they supported it 100%. The only thing that <laughs> there was one time on the morning show, I remember I was talking about my curfew. And my mom was very angry about that. And she told me, why are you talking about our personal business on the radio? And besides that, though, <laughs> <laughs> my parents were, were 100%. You follow your passion. My dad has always been, when I was a kid, do what you love. Make sure whatever you do, you love it. Oh, that's so, fantastic. Yeah. That's great. So I'm you get lucky. through this this spring semester, and then you do the summer where you're you're there all the time, and you're and you're helping out, and you become immediately involved. So I guess your your second year, your sophomore year, is that when you became traffic director? Is that you made a conscious decision to be really involved? I th- you know it's all kind of a blur. I think I only did that for a few months. I don't even know if it was my whole year. I feel like something happened, and I had to just take it over for somebody for a short time. Mm. And then the first job I had for the full year was the, the personnel director. So the, the dates and the times are kind of a blur to me, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess with the personnel director, I'm not entirely familiar with, it's not just the staffing, but you, your responsibility would have been to make sure that people were scheduled for particular shifts, that there was an engineer or there are conflicts with events or, or sports broadcasts. Is that right? So the, the personnel director was required to make sure every slot was covered. Mm. So at, to make sure there was no time that there was a slot uncovered and the summers were particularly hard with that. And sure. there were times where I didn't have a slot covered and I would freak out. And a lot of the times I would just go do it because I didn't want to leave it empty. Um, cause the idea of dead air under my watch killed me. Mm-hmm. So I, I did what I could, or I scrambled, I asked for help, I begged, I pleaded and it it always worked out, but they were. It was a very stressful position. It really taught me that position. I guess that was my first position in real life. Like, wow, this is this is life. This is how it is. Like to manage something this big, it was hard. And you've got to know all the staff. You have to know all the shows. You have to know all the producers and managers. And here you were a year before or so. You weren't even thinking about radio. That's right. And now you're so involved. That must have it must have felt pretty empowering, I imagine. It was amazing. It was the whole experience for me, it really changed it changed my life. I mean, I hate to be so <laughs> cliche, but it changed my life. It changed my direction. And it changed it changed everything for me. It really did. So now that we've established how important Hofstra Radio was for not only your your education and your career, but your personal life as well. We've got all these memories, all your friendships and relationships um, and the benefit of hindsight. Let's go back to that, you know, uh, that club fair. And Hmm. you're like, this is interesting. What did you hope 
Hofstra Radio would mean for you at that time. I honestly was just trying to find my place and I wanted a place. And I was somebody in high school who was very active in different clubs and I had that and I, I hadn't found that yet. And I, I mean, to be honest, I was with this guy that I really, it wasn't working out. And mm. it was it was a, a frustrating time for me. And I, I didn't have a lot of friends yet at the school. So I guess I was just trying to find my way, which I can't believe the way that it found me. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, it led me on the most amazing path that I could have ever imagined, way more than I ever could have imagined. Oh, that's fantastic. Laura, that, that's, oh, thank you so much for sharing your stories. I've, I've had such a good time listening and, and uh, I feel like we're just scratching the surface. I feel like there's so many more stories. Tons. Oh, I can go on and on. I don't know if you've heard EB Beeper stories, but wow. I could keep going. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a teaser for the next episode. Tune in next time <laughs> to hear about pagers and beepers. <laughs> right? Some of these people don't even probably know what that is at this point. <laughs> no. Well, this was so much fun. Thank you for taking the time. I really enjoyed it. Oh, I did too. Thank you so much for the opportunity and for making this. It's very special.